Um, it's really a pleasure to be here with everyone at IFPRI. Um, we did just come on, I was also part of this workshop over the last two days and it was really inspiring to be with this amazing group of, of researchers uh, talking about NRM activities. Um, and I also did review the, the study that James just presented and I was trying to figure out at the beginning I was very impressed by the work on methodology, really learned a lot about sort of what we can and can't do in terms of methods for impact assessment. But I found that the results of it really didn't speak to the issues that I've been struggling with and I was trying to figure out why that is. And so what I wanted to do in the talk today was to spend um, a couple of minutes uh, sharing what I think is the really big agenda around agriculture and, 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 and natural resource management, what the implications of that are for research particularly for the inter, one of the premier international agricultural research organizations and also then some of the briefly about some of the implications then for impact assessment. Um, and, and I want to start by saying um, that I have a, I mean I think there's a real big bold vision out there for agriculture. How can we shift it from being one of the major sources of greenhouse gas emissions to being the most important sink? How do we change it from being the biggest polluter and user of water resources to being the key turnstone for healthy watersheds? How do we shift agriculture from being the greatest threat we have to biodiversity around the world to being a core central part of any kind of biodiversity conservation strategy? How do we shift agriculture from being a huge user of fossil fuels to being a great producer of renewable energy? How do we turn agriculture from being the place where poor people stay until they can find something else to being a really important central part of an inclusive, green, regenerative economy? I mean, I think agriculture is at the center of the SDGs, it's at the center of much of what we do. The research agenda needs to be just as ambitious, I think, as, as that vision. So let me start by um, asking just very briefly, what's different now than when I started in the CG Center back in the 80s, you know, working for ICRAF? Um, as we know, for a really long time, all of the research work paralleled the fact that all the development activity was very, very siloed. The forestry people did this in forest lands, the farming people did this in agriculture lands, the water people were in charge of the watersheds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, it's been many, many decades since that paradigm has been, in ch been under change. But I would argue that we're still living with the remnants of this being the way that we were trained back when we were in college, those of the leaders who are of, who are of my, my, my uh, age range. That's not true for the younger folks, I think. But there are some implications for thinking differently about things. Most agricultural land today is not large areas of agricultural land. It's, 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 they're in mosaics, either with protected areas, with human settlements, or whatever it may be. They're in mosaics. They cannot separate themselves out from the other activities that are going on in the land. That includes urban, urban spaces as well. The implication of that is, first of all, that we're no longer talking about it's a pet peeve I have. I apologize for it. I don't talk about this stuff as externalities anymore because agriculture is now at the, is a central feature of ecosystem management. This is actually some work we did with IFPRI and WRI 20 years ago, I realized, <laughs> as I pulled this up. But back then, 40% of the land area under agriculture, um, I'm sorry, 40% of the land area was uh, intimately, uh, sorry, of annual crops 40% of the land area of the world was in intimate connection with annual crops. This didn't include grasslands, that this, this didn't include uh, perennial crops. 
agricultural has expanded dramatically in the last 20 years. So this map is out of date. I'd love to do another one with, with IFPRI um, sometime soon. Um, so this is the reality that we're living. Where it's also really no longer about sustainability. That's a term now a couple of decades old. Agricultural production faces existential threats from things that are going on in terms of the environment, whether it's from climate change affecting patterns of pest and disease, temperatures, rainfall, et cetera, whether we're talking about living with floods, flooding. We've got someone outside of the farmland needs to help us protect, uh, protect farming from floods. Um, drought and aquifer depletion, these are existential threats to the Punjab. Um, urban and industrial contamination if these are sitting side by side. So, so we're not talking about sustaining what we have. We're talking about protecting ourselves from the threats and also regenerating what we've lost. It's, it's, no, whoops, it's, it's no longer about choosing agriculture versus environment and what's the optimal you know, ratio of how much we're going to do one versus how much we're going to do the other. Production systems and landsc agricultural landscapes need to produce both food and ecosystem services. That's the agenda. That's the development agenda and that's the research agenda. Um, it's no longer about only food and agriculture. It's cities and other stakeholders are very much trying to grab those resources. They want to use them. Can we use them jointly or is this going to be really, again, an existential conflict for, for agriculture? So, one of the things that's really exciting from my perspective is the rise of the discourse around the sustainable development goals because it lays out, that all, it, it lays out a range of goals to, to 2030 including food security and sustainable agriculture and environment and many, many, you know, all 17 of the goals. And one of its claims is that no one will be left behind. Well, what does it mean to be, have no one left behind on all 17 goals? What it means is meeting all the goals in every landscape, in every territory, in every urban region. Um, and so I think that's the sort of framing that I'm starting to use in, in, the, in the work that, that we do. When we think about sustainable intensification, which is an even higher priority these days, it's not sustainable intensification around a few key things. It's how do we sustainably intensify and maintain high genetic diversity, crop diversity, landscape diversity, ecosystem diversity. It's, it is a different world, diversity to, be, to benefit the range of things we want from the SDGs. There are enormous amount of innovation going on around the world. I'm calling them landscapes here, integrated landscape approaches where very large areas have negotiated settlements among many uh, stakeholders in the landscape uh, in order to try to achieve a range of agricultural environment and, and, uh, and other goals. And I have a list of names down here uh, with, I think there's about 11 of the 88 terms that have developed in terms of different communities of practice that have different entry points uh, for doing this forest landscape restoration, watershed management. Um, but it's all because there has been this urge from below to deal with the real conflicts and negotiated outcomes and trade-offs and stuff that people uh, need to work on. And we did some studies with a number of CGIR centers between 2013 and 2015 uh, to identify some of these. We, we've now got, we've identified now more than 420 of them, uh, close to 500 if you include some new work that's going on in the, in the United States and Canada. Um, and these are the natural clients for the work of the CGIAR. Um, I won't go into this right now, but this was from this survey, the self-reported uh, uh, claims that they made about their impacts. We don't have any documentation about this. But what's fascinating to me is the number of SDGs that these landscape initiatives were basically producing, uh, attempting to, to do between, with, with their efforts. 
and these are multi-stakeholder processes. Agriculture has to be able to negotiate with these other stakeholders in the landscape in an effective way and offer solutions that will be compatible with the other goals that are in the landscape. Um, the, there's basically investment portfolios that are being developed in all of these landscape initiatives that include agricultural activities, environmental ones, integrating both in asset investments, enabling investments, and I put down in the bottom in red, research and innovation. These groups are desperately looking for group people who can help them solve these very tough day-to-day, year-to-year, decade-to-decade negotiations that they're trying to have. They need an agriculture that fits into these complex landscapes. So what is the, if that's what we need to do to be looking at, I, what are the implications for international agricultural research? So let me start by why I realized I was a little bit uncomfortable reading this, this, the, the, the SPIA studies. Excellent job. I, I mean, it's fantastic that the CG was doing these, and I, I found the methodological work just, just fascinating. But I asked myself, is this misplaced priorities for assessment? Of the, James was reviewing the different, um, different kinds of, of practices that were suggested for review. And it turned out that eight of the nine that actually got reviewed were crop management practices. Th these are ones that would contribute to environmental sustainability, but one can hardly say that that input alone was going to generate impacts reduction or else benefits from, from, from environment. I asked myself, how was adoption related to the ecosystem context in which they were in? And what were the interactions between that intervention and the other interventions that have to be done at the same time if you're going to have any benefit from any of those crop management practices? Um, how, how, is it true that we should be using the same methods for adoption studies of a change in a production system as, we're as we have used in the past for the use of, 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 of inputs? Or, or seeds that are being fitting into an existing system. I would argue I think it's a different kind of a process. At what I, and then I asked myself, well, what about those other 80 or 90 percent of farms that were being surveyed? Were they really literally not doing anything to improve the soils? If so, that's a, a huge and terrifying finding. And I would have really liked to know, did they have something alternative to conservation agriculture they were using to keep their soil from flowing down the river or not? So. Um, that was sort of my reflections on that. And then I say, well, what, is the, what are the implications for genetic breeding and, and research? I'm very concerned about the fact that these seem to be so separated in the CGIAR because I see them as being intimately linked. If we don't have the right germplasm, we can't develop the right production systems. And there's a whole range of traits for which I don't think we are currently have much investment in, uh, in, um, in developing that you need for these complex, diverse, environmentally friendly production systems. You know, everything from, and I know there's new work being done on carbon sequestration and storage and ways to reduce new greenhouse gas emissions and getting biomass from both the seed and the vegetative matter so you can do this. But what about the performance in biodiverse systems, polycultures, in land use mosaics, in undershade? Are we breeding for high productivity and resilience in those kinds of contexts? I don't see much about that the domestication of more diverse products so that farmers have more options that are economic from which to, to get, so they can manage, bio, they can have biodiverse systems then they don't lose money off of them. Anyway, there's, there's a lot of other things I think that, that we need to re-look at the, the genetic breeding environment. Then there's the implications for the ag and NRM research. We need to be integrating or at least coordinating the work on genetics, agronomic, and NRM research. 
And we need to understand actually in a much greater depth than working with the university research partners to, to know the underlying biophysical, agroecological, and landscape ecology processes in these complex environment-friendly production systems. We need to understand the patterns of adoption of complex systems innovations. Someone tell me where I'm, oops, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm over. Um, anyway, uh, these are just some of the ideas, and my last one was in terms of research uh, assessment. We need to look at adoption by institutions, by whole groups of people, by whole communities, by municipalities of these kinds of initiatives. We need to look at the impacts at a landscape scale. We need to focus a lot on interactions between different activities. It's going to be limited. We need new methods, and we need to incorporate ecosystem and mosaic context into adoption studies. And I apologize. I was stopped paying attention to the time. I'm sorry, Frank. <laughs> Thank you.